I got facts, man. I got facts. All right, Union of the Unwanted, back again live on a Monday. Ricky, what's going on? What's that? Yeah, it happens every now and again. So uh, behind the scenes kind of thing is that on the recording, I'm not coming in strong. There is some software bug with OBS and Streamlabs where it over-modulates and over-compresses my signal because I'm using uh, a stereo signal running mono, and so it doesn't know what to do with it. And so I, now I have to do live Windows monitoring of processes to determine and debug that software. But it'll even out here in a second. Sorry, guys. It sound like Ernie. Yeah, sorry. It'll, it'll, it'll stop here in uh, 20 seconds. I'll shut up. <laughs> But yeah, I thanks everybody for being with us. Another union of the unwanted. Uh, just to let people know who are listening, these are streamed live exclusively now only on Rockfin because obviously we've been having issues with YouTube, just like everybody else is having issues with YouTube. So if you want to watch the live stream, go on a Rockfin channel and you can watch live. And then eventually in a day or two, it's available on all, all the audio platforms, also Odyssey and other spots. So uh, and go to the union of the to find the merch and find uh, all our links to all our channels and all our social media accounts. So the union of unwanted.com that'll bring you to our link tree. And then you can connect with us with all, all the platforms we're on. So uh, thanks again, guys, for being with us today. We're going to talk about prepping, surviving. I don't know. I don't know. What, what, what are we going to be uh, talking about guys? As best we can. I mean, none of us, that I know of are experts on survival prepping and, and dealing with the aftermath of a grid down situation or an EMP civil unrest or what we're kind of all going through right now, which is a, a pseudo pandemic. Uh, we're not, we're none of us are experts. And so we're just kind of sitting around uh, shooting the crap, exchanging ideas. Uh, I'm a, I'm a casual prepper. Uh, I do have some ideas. I don't know if they're good ideas about prepping, uh, but I have a few ideas about what a person or a family may need, uh, like next to their bed. What, what, what are common items you want, might want to keep there or items you might want to put in your go pack in case you got to flee your house uh, very quickly. So I got items like that kind of nailed down. But I know uh, Ernest, uh, he's been dealing with... Uh, Information in a different way, preparing for the collapse of what we know as the Internet and maintaining uh, a good stream of information that you can get out to people. And he was just before the show talking about the IPSF, uh, the interplanetary file system and the new app that goes along with that. Can you go into that a little bit more for people, Ernest? The main thing is a few years ago, I was, uh, you know, I, if I whine enough on my show, you know, stuff happens. That's kind of my thing. It's called quantum reality. I'll create it by bitching about it. <laughs> and um, my main thing was very simple. I wanted where can I store ones and zeros and then have access to those ones and zeros and anybody can from anywhere in the world. Um, about three weeks ago, 
Derek Slopey and Drew Phillips, partners on Agorist Hosting. And uh, Drew flew up to Maine where we were. We were after Porcupine Freedom Festival and Fork Fest. We were up in Maine working on this. And uh, it came up, and within three days, they created it. I, I knew once uh, Derek got on it, it you know, it would be a done thing. Because we've been playing with it and using it and advocating for it. And we have, you know, Pirate Box Project that we're working on it for a long time. And uh, finally sat down, put it, stitched it all together in an app called Moonbeam. And uh, um, the big thing that uh, Corbett and I have been really, James Corbett, Corbett Report, have been really harping on this is where's the Library of Alexandria going to be because it's being burned down. So where do we put our ones and zeros, our files, our audio, video, uh, text, PDFs, GIFs, memes, whatever. And I was told a few years ago that interplanetary file system would accomplish what I wanted. And it's part of Filecoin. The problem has been with MadeSafe and Filecoin, IPFS, and a bunch of these others, is they're trying to monetize it. <laughs> and by monetizing it, they would you would take part of your hard drive, make it available for Internet 3-point kiss my butt, where the people are the Internet, and you store data, disseminate data, and you get crypto for storing it and disseminating it, but it can be gamed easily. So somebody is like AdSense words on Google, you know, they just get robots and do it. So they couldn't really quite overcome that. And I didn't care. I'm going, so what you're saying is, is that I can store ones and zeros and then be available to anybody from anywhere. And they go, well, yeah, but you can't make money on it. I go, yeah, how much money I would pay to do that? I mean, holy crap. So we developed an app called Moonbeam. So, you know, where's the Library of Alexandria? Right up there, you know, it's called the moon and it's moonbeaming down anything. So what we, it's a plug and play, very simple. I've been using it for, you know, a version of it on my show for years. And you just go uh, upload, you know, select the file and you slide and you pick the thumbnail that you want. Boom, put whatever metadata you want on and upload and it goes. Now that gives you a hash. Well, that hash you know, is a named file instead of a location. When you get an IP address, that's a location of a file on a server somewhere to where to send the Hellfire missile. So I'm going, no, it's a named file that's replicated across all these gazillion nodes. So when you, what we wanted to do is not only it pull from our boxes and it go to other social media and so on, like float, FL. O-T-E, you guys know Kingsley and Aaron, we've been working with them for over a year on this, and uh, we were just at Jackalope Freedom Festival and Pork Fest in New Hampshire and Arizona, and it's we're all symbiotic and it's done. So what we did is you take an RSS feed from when this show, if you be done with the file, you just upload it to IPFS, and the RSS uh, feed from that and the server goes out the float, they pull it, propagate the title, the summary, embed of the data, you know, the uh, uh, of the video and so on, and you're done. Now, the benefit to someone like Float is that they don't have to get servers. They don't have to buy a whole bunch of stuff, and it's faster than the World Wide Web. What this means is that any social media platform can compete with GooTube, and there's nothing they can do about it, and they can't censor it. They can't delete it because it's multiple copies everywhere. So we have a 
uh, primary server that we did just to, you know, the kickstart it and make it go in Maine. Then the other part, what we did on Telegram, we have a group called Pirate Box Project. We've been working on this for a while. And what happens is now we have a Raspberry Pi that our audiences can buy for almost nothing. You download the software to it and it automatically pins copies their favorite uh, host. So any of you guys, you go to your audience, you know, Corbett and I, when we're done with this and we're within weeks of being done with that part of it, rest of it's already done. But then we say, all right, buy it. They get a Raspberry Pi, all their favorite content providers go in and they become a node for it. So it makes it go really fast right away instead of having to propagate over days, you know, that kind of thing. So this was the result and the desire because I've been doing this a long time. I, I, I know I just, I just wrote an article um, yesterday on my webpage called, uh, so you say you're on a revolution. And what I was articulating is that they're not going to stop. These guys are not going to stop censoring. They're not going to stop demanding, not going to stop spending money. They're not going to stop the printing press or not. This is, this is on. And when you thought there was a break, oh, it's over. Everybody knows it's crap. No, they're tripling down. This is going to get really bad. And eventually it's going to turn into a food thing. So we're promoting blackmarketfridays.com. Um, Corbett and I made a big deal about this. And what it does is it goes to agorist.market. And it's a training thing for hundreds of vendors have gone on there so that you can learn how to get your food and, you know, have networks to barter with and people being able to learn how to do alternative currencies with alternative vendors and all that, because that's what's coming. So we've been working hard on this. And we came to Jackalope, Northeastern Arizona. This is kind of the end of our Love Bus Liberty Tour.com trip. And I still got a trip to do to the Southeast, but we're back in Arizona. It's been a, over a year since May. My wife and I have been on the road doing the show and get my bias confirmed is that rural America is not buying this. This is one thing. That's why, you know, around the country, whether you're supported Trump or not, that wasn't the point. It was lousy with Trump signs. I mean, it was amazing. I could count on one hand, you know, how many Biden signs I saw, but there it's not, it's not him. It's just a, you know, a, a repulsion, a, a, an aversion to whatever the hell these guys are. And I can see what's going to happen. It's going to be a bifurcation of society and urban and rural. That's what's coming. So I'm going, all right, well, the voice of the rule if up in uh, Northeastern Arizona because we were 10th year in the Jackalope Freedom Festival and the locals up there, um, we interview and we've run for office up there and I run for statewide office and good friends run for Congress and, there and all that kind of stuff. So we understand their mindset. Last November, I did a live remote from a restaurant that refused to wear masks and didn't require masks and the county health was on their butt and everything and they just wouldn't do it. So we did a show and came on the show was the ranchers, the farmers, the miners, the loggers, the retail, and they were just telling their stories. So this year, uh, just last week, uh, a week ago, on Monday, I interviewed Brandon, which is the chairman of the Chamber of Commerce up there. And uh, then we, the following night, Tuesday, we went and did a presentation at the town hall, myself, and uh, we presented the pirate box and, you know, for communication and everything. And then Doug... Um, Hodges, which is Phoenix Crypto, he has like 15 Bitcoin ATMs, crypto ATMs around the valley here in Phoenix. And 
are offering classes for them to learn when they win, they're going to do it, try and mandate lockdowns again, that they can bypass it and still say no, because this last time was just a training op. Now they're going to cut off your credit cards, your banks, your not being able to do commerce and so on. They're going after the money. So we have a newspaper that if you go to freemansphoenix.com at the top, you can see our e-magazine and our newspaper. Well, the newspapers, we're creating a version that's for all of rural Arizona. We're going to be focusing on Arizona as an example. So these guys, I I go up to Prescott this weekend doing the same kind of thing because we're more than a media guy. I'm a, I'm an activist. I'm a street activist. I've been doing this 30 years and I know what it's going to take. And the prepping thing that you're talking about is being able to survive for the year, two, three, you know, of this crackdown. If you're not able, you're going to be, yes, and boss, you know, which stadium do I go to to get food and cheese and water or something? So we are on a bus, an MCI 1980 bus that we outfitted, and we got everything, electricity, water, so on. We're doing, we even do rain capture. But the thing is, is that's always the problem is communication. It's internet. So Starlink, hopefully we've got a test on that at Porkfest and it's awesome. I was like, okay, I would, I'll see how far up Uncle Sam's blood Elon is, but you know, there are solutions and we're going to need them because it's coming. Has anybody that uh, you talked to, Ernest, uh, experimented with using IPFS in some capacity and doing like internet over ham radio? You know, I just as a matter of fact, um, <clears throat> last Thursday, I think it was, Wednesday or Thursday, if you go to freemansphoenix.com at the top right, it says declare your independence with Ernest Hancock. And there's a gentleman named Matt that is a licensed ham radio guy and an instructor. And we talked about this very thing because in the mid nineties, when I was a young activist, uh, they started what they call packet radio and you can send email or text messages using ham radio. And, you know, they freak out if you one do that without a license, God forbid you do anything encrypted. So I go, I got one question for you for even, you know, we met him up there and he came up to say, Hey, and went to the festival. And I said, I'd love to have you on. We go do a show, but I got one question. Can I send encrypted text messaging onto a computer using ham radio? And of course I know you can. And he goes, um, legally, like I asked out the question. <laughs> And I know, can you? And he goes, yes, because this is the question. Do I have to have a license to buy the equipment? No. Is there somebody holding my finger that I can't push the button? No. So the answer is yes, but they don't like it. They don't want you to be able to do it. And if you get the license, they'll go, oh, you got your pinky swear, you'll never whatever. But under in the licensing, when we did studies on this, um, if you're in a state of emergency, well, then you can use the radio waves. So I go, when have we not been in a state of emergency, you know? So uh, the answer is yes. And when it matters, I'm not going to give a crap what the law is. Yeah, what you're talking about, I mean, it, having lines of communication in these situations is critical. And so what people um, need to know, like the Pirate Box is like a, it is a Raspberry Pi. You can go on Amazon and order Raspberry Pi for about 40 to 50 bucks. It's a small computer. It's got, you know, three uh, 30 gigabytes of storage, typically runs on Linux, but with the Pirate Box, it's a pre-configured box <coughs> that helps you get on the interplanetary file system uh, that Ernest was talking about. So you can barely 
uh, very quickly get up to speed and start participating in this new way of sharing files. I mean, you can there's go to a, Pirate there's Box. A, yeah, there's a bit of a learning curve, but it's, it's worth it. Well, we're making it really butt-ass grandpa simple. I mean, that was my thing. I go, eh, don't assume I know anything. Well, you just, I go, you said the word just. I, go, I just pushed a button. That's what I just do, you know. And um, you go to piratebox.info. You guys go right there. You go piratebox.info, and you'll see a contest there. We already got it working. We wanted to add some other features to it, and we're up to like $7,500 in prizes. You know, there's you know pre-search, one of the big things that we figured out with the um, Moonbeam is the RSS feed that we're using to go to the social media platforms like Float is that that provides the metadata for search. Well, pre-search, you know, put up $5,000 for you package it so we can put it up on pre-search, call them pay, boom, you know, we're doing it. So we are, we already have it to where content providers can do it right now. That, that was solved about three weeks ago. And what Derek, a little bonus, he took his cell phone and he goes like this. He goes, watch this. And he took his cell phone and he went bleep. And he took a picture of one of the guys sitting around a campfire up there in Maine. And he posted it up IPFS. And I go, wait a minute, wait a minute. Let me ask you this. So what you're saying is I can post an image or any media up from anywhere with Internet access. Anybody from anywhere with the Internet can access that data. Yes. And I go, I want the an NFT of that first picture right there, and I'll pay $1,000 for it. So Drew Phillips from Bitcoin Not Bombs and Agris Hosting created an NFT for it, got 1000 bucks. Boom. I got the first... You know, IPFS mobile phone posted graphic. And that's just, and that, that means a lot to me because because you can do it from a phone anywhere in the world, access it from anywhere in the world, and nobody can censor it. The power of that, I don't think people really realize yet. That's amazing. It's come a long ways. I was uh, dabbling in the uh, IPFS uh, a little bit last year when you came on the show initially. I, uh, I downloaded it, got kind of got it up to speed on one of my... Uh, um, older computers, and it was pretty simple to get up and going. Like, I'm pretty familiar with using command line stuff, and so it wasn't that bad, but seeing this baked into a Raspberry Pi, like, I want to start working with this immediately, and and you guys have it worked into an RSS feed. That's exactly what I want to make all content consumable, and you can get it out to people, um, especially uh, when lines of communication may be limited. And uh, if you just looking to hear from your favorite content producer about what's going on in Charlie's life in, in uh, Colorado, it's right there. You might not be able to text with them or get on Telegram or anything like that, but if he is able to get it out to the IPFS, then well, that's, this a, that's, is something, how, that's something special. You know, this is in your survival prepper rule America thing and how I presented it to the, you know, the uh, town hall meeting they had in Heber Obergard, northeastern Arizona, up in the rim area, which is like 7,000 feet. I mean, up there, it's 78 degrees when it's 120 down here now, you know. And um, I go, I remember in the mid-90s, young activists, when they first, the internet was becoming a thing. Libertarians dominated the internet at the time. It wasn't until 2002 to 2004 that all politicians had to have a web page. It was that late before they, you know, oh, you got to have that damn internet thing, you know. And um, 
What happened was it was, you know, dial up. And anybody that lived, had a phone line that lived in rural America had the same access to the internet and speed and could participate as much as anybody in urban area. Well, now that's totally changed. They are, you know, they don't have a bunch of YouTubers or influencers that are certainly doing any live streaming or something like that. You know, rural America, unless you got Starlink or you happen to have a good um, connection. So a lot of the overwhelming influence on politics and the rhetoric and, you know, what uh, people want to express themselves is done from urban areas and the rural areas are not represented. So I'm going, look, we can do newspapers. We definitely all about signs. So, of course, we made a crap load of signs at Jackalope. We put them everywhere. So and then, you know, uh, uh, Burning Man got shut down last year and this year, but they're having a, a rogue burn, whatever that is. And a bunch of the guys were there at Jackalope, and they're taking a bunch of the signs up there in the Black Rock Desert or whatever. So signs are like you cannot censor them, and then you go take them down. I just make more. So what happened was I said, for you guys to have a voice again, when they're overrunning, they got a, a bunch of stuff there. You know, the feds are taking their water. They're closing off the forest now. They're putting big boulders and trees across the forest. You can't have access to the forest. I mean, it's common. And you can see it here in the Southwest. They are shutting off the land from the people. And these guys that live it know it. In fact, it was in 03, after a big fire up there, when I first started doing radio out of Scottsdale, that one of the ranchers up there came on my show and told me what was going on. And it's only gotten worse since then. So the ability for these small communities to be able to put up on the Internet access to documents, videos, audio, web pages, to where they can't be deplatformed because that's what they're running into. And when they're not deplatformed, they're shadow banned. And when they're not, you know, they don't even know they're shadow banned and they got geofencing. They all just, oh, my Facebook page. And I'm going, yeah, your Facebook page in Northeastern Arizona and Navajo County, nobody else is seeing your successes or what you're doing. They're making sure you're not. So the rural communities around Arizona, as we travel around, there are great stories Stories of resistance, stories of winning, stories of, you know, death and damnation, but it's not getting out. So we have to have a mechanism by which they can't censor it. So that's what we're creating the platform and the ability for them to do that. And all anybody needs is a hash. So then how do you promote it? Through the newspaper and the signs and a landing page and QR codes. We're going old school. They are not going to stop us. Yeah, I, I already knew it was going to come to this. That's why we needed to create the framework and the backbone for doing the old school activism. We're living basically in uh, cyberpunk. If people are a fan of like science fiction, but we're like just on the cusp of like actual cyberpunk to where everyone's walking around with mohawks and carrying keyboards around. I think I'm going to amend my my go pack to include a Raspberry Pi with a small screen and. Uh, a power supply, because as communications do break down, you might be able to get to somebody that uh, has access to the Internet. Just hand them a thumb drive that you right. download stuff off your Raspberry Pi, give it to them, have them upload it. Um, and it's that simple. Well, I don't know if you remember, but uh, Start9 Labs has a Raspberry Pi tour box called Embassy, the Embassy. And when I went to Float Fast back in March, one of the uh, social media director or go to the festival guys uh, has been a listener to the show for four years. And he goes, look, I know what you're doing. I want you to know about us. And I think they're out of Colorado somewhere. And they take a Raspberry Pi 
and they put Tor on it to where you just plug it in, put it on your desk or at your grandma's basement or something, and you save your files to it like it's an online server, just like you were saving to a server farm, but it's your own and you're using Tor. And But Tor's like six times slower because it has to bounce around a lot. And it's got you know some other issues, but it's a great idea. So they said, we want to incorporate the pirate box in with that. And I go, well, can it run IPFS and Tor? They go, absolutely. And they started getting all geeky on me about containers and all this other crap. But uh, so I'm you know, talking to Thomas Freeman and Mike Slotek and Derek Slopey and Drew, and they're working it out. But the um, what it is is that in their, like, Play Store, you know, their apps, it's a pirate box. And you just click on that, and it turns it into an IPFS pirate box. And so the benefit of that is you get Tor and the pirate box, but they take care of fulfillment. So when James and I go, all right, it's time, audience. Get it. Do it. Buy it. Here's the uh, pen files that we want you to do. Or it comes with an external drive that already has it preloaded with all of our content, all of our shows. Well, you know, you get five terabyte external drives now. Hell, everyone give terabyte SD cards away as door prizes. So I'm going, okay, memory's not a problem anymore. So, and it's going to keep getting better. So the Raspberry Pis that the embassy used to start9labs.com, start the number 9labs.com, and they're setting it up to where they will just take the order and it's already ready. And I don't have to line them all up or send SD cards or start configuring or which model you get. And the only thing that we're waiting on on that is they have eight gigs of RAM now, which are freaking kick-ass computers, you know, a week ago. And um, uh, they're 32-bit and now they're going to 64-bit. So as soon as they make the shift to 64-bit, then we're going to start pushing them as the ones for fulfillment of exactly what you're talking about. And it's a grandma just button. Wow. So it's so fascinating. And uh, hopefully people listening will, will go to these links and investigate a little bit more about this technology that is right there and is ready to be used and consumed. So can, awesome. Can shit. I add some comments? Absolutely. Go for it. Yeah. So um, I'm actually working on a software project that's going to aggregate content. So I've put my hand into this uh, pot. And one of, the, one of the things that I've come to a conclusion on is that, you know, for political news, sharing of videos, um, there's basically two types of content, ephemeral content and then long-term archive storage. And if you just solve for the ephemeral content, which I argue is actually more important, then the amount of disk space that you'll need will be orders of magnitude less if you just store for ephemeral content that's going to last like 48 hours. Um, this is, this is how I look at it. We started Freedom's Phoenix in 2005. Once video hit the internet, it was a plan since 96. I've been doing this since the late eighties. And I go, when video hits the internet, here we freaking go. The people will be able to compete with the lies of whatever. So when YouTube hit in 05, I'm like, woohoo, here we go. So we started it and we started doing newsletters right away every day. We put up 50 to 70 articles a day on freedomsphoenix.com. And in the top, every day for the past, we just started like a month ago, every day in the top four stories, it says 
we knew it was coming or we saw it coming or, you know, something like that. And it has a Freedom's Phoenix newsletter icon on it and you click on it and it shows the newsletters that we sent out exactly 10 years ago. So if you go on the front page today and you scroll down, you'll see it probably move down. But it has from August uh, 16th, 2011, and you'll see all the stories and you'd be a sh- be shocked at how clear a path there was of what they were doing to get us to where we are now. And that was why I started doing it. I go, I remember these stories before. I remember, you know, this, this is not new. This is, you know, so if you look back and that's why I choose to have the archive for a, a long term, because I know they're going down the memory hole. A lot of these things, they don't want it there. So the complaint that I used to get is that when you click on the headline, it would go to a mid page as opposed to directly to the site. And the reason was I wanted to get a couple of paragraphs. It was from who and this and the comments, you know, from the people and all that kind of stuff. But it definitely was there. And I remember Yahoo News, we don't use them anymore because they delete, like you're talking about, they just delete it after a couple of weeks. If you go to that link again, it's not there. You know, so for Freedoms Phoenix, you know, I mean, I understand what you're saying, you know, for news and so on. But for me, I wanted to save that archive because I knew they're going to memory hole everything. And I wanted to have that that news. Yeah, we knew it was coming. We could see it. So that's why we did that. And that's why I see IPFS is. And the benefit to social media like Float, and of course, we'll go to others, you know, but we made an agreement with them to do it with them. And uh, um, Float, what happens is when all that content, all of us as content providers have a gazillion videos and everything, it's enormous capital expense for them to have the servers for that. Well, they don't need it. It's just embedded. You know, it's just an embed and it goes to the people's Internet. And it's faster because there's so many copies of it and it loads up really quick. So it's just, I, I understand what you're talking about, but IPFS storage is not an issue. Well, not to uh, change topics, but maybe we should just a little bit. You did a great job of preparing for lack of access to content that you desire and need. Uh, last year, my wife and I moved from Arizona back to Ohio to buy some land and start farming and gardening and trying to be a little bit more self-sustainable. Um, I mean, that's helped us like not go to the store as much because we kind of saw the writing on the wall. I just assumed that things were going to get uh, a little more difficult to move around. That's just kind of what I was anticipating. And oh, that's common. <laughs> it, it's, it's, and it's happening. So it, I live North of Columbus and Columbus has a lot of, a lot of, restaurants and businesses they're voluntarily asking for proof of vaccination and uh it hasn't crept up to where we are uh, but one of the ways we are going to be able to get around it at least in the short term is by bulk ordering food and so we will bulk order food from a service called uh, azure and they will come by once a month and you go out to uh like a truck stop and an 18 wheeler pulls up and they, they drop your food off on these pallets and you go through it and you get your bulk food, whether it's rice or uh, quinoa, flour, anything you want, you can order pretty much in bulk. And we're there with a lot of other like-minded people. There are like a lot of uh, religious people there, people buying for their farms, uh, but you're out there and you're amongst like-minded people, and you're not going through a store that might wind up turning you away. 
so that's one way. So you got anybody who's interested, just look up uh, Azure. I'll put a link in the description, and you can start uh, bulk ordering food to get used to doing that in case you need to have to resort to getting your food that way. Well, they I did have a organic show a food. Of, yeah, they have, of, they have organic there, yeah. Yeah, I did a show a couple of weeks ago with, um, you know, when I was at Anarchapulco 2019, 2020, I met the team at ECI Development and Mike Cobb and Rachel, who's on the call here. And, um, and you know, the idea when I was looking at it back then, it's like, oh, you know, have a, a second vacation home somewhere else, right? It was like vacation home. I think that's kind of changed now. <laughs> it's been more like a skate pad or, you know, someplace that you can go to. And and I know that when it comes to the prepping, I think it's kind of important to have short-term, medium-term, and long-term plans. And, and, East, and, and so I had Mike on to talk about the combination of the real estate component and the uh, residency. And that, of course, is more long-term planning, of course, because some of this take takes some time. But I thought it was interesting because as, as Mike explained to me, you know, in America, we all think, well, if the shit hits the fan, we'll just, um, we'll just get on a plane. We'll get out of here. You know, we'll just get out of here. And he's right. You'll get out of here. You'll get on a plane and you'll get out of here and you'll go somewhere else. The problem is staying. There is nowhere else. <laughs> you know, yeah, where else are you going to go, really? But, but, but wherever you pick, the problem is once you get there, how long can you stay? And some of the things that ECI offers besides real estate is also the residency component that it works through their lawyers uh, or legal partners there that you can add on to your feature. So I was wondering if, uh, luckily, Rachel's here to uh, fill us in on the details of this. Your projects, first of all, are they're in the best spots, but they're beautiful. They're reasonable. You guys take crypto. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of reasons people should probably be checking this out. What's going on in ECI development world? Yeah, yeah. and thanks, Charlie. And I think, you know, as we're talking about this concept of prepping, a lot of times we forget to prepare our most important asset, which really is ourself. And we have, you know, especially, I'm guessing everyone on the line is North American, but we tend to have this mentality of stuff, let's save our stuff. And how are we going to save our stuff? And, you know, just from listening to the conversation for the last half hour, I hear a lot of you are talking about the self-sustainability and making sure that you are able to live off the grid if, if it ever gets to that point. And, and so ECI development, we are throughout Latin America and you know, the business has been around for the last 25 years, but it's really over the last year and a half where people are realizing, you know, I may not necessarily want to stay in this location that I am anymore. And I know, I think, was it Mike, you just mentioned that you, you moved up back to Ohio and, you know, that's great because you were able to find a place within the States that you felt comfortable to do that. But the reality is there's a, there are a lot of people out there who realize that there are other places outside of their home country, outside of the States that is offering better alternatives for what they're looking to accomplish. And understandably, not everybody is looking for the same thing, not looking for the same lifestyle. And so being able to have choice, geographic choice really is important at the end of the day too. And so I'm currently in Belize. I live, I'm from New York originally. I moved down to Latin America back in 2012, I moved to Nicaragua and then made my way to Belize and I go between the countries regularly. But what I can tell you is that from over the last year and a half, I have seen, we had probably about 120 sales of our tiny homes. We have tiny homes in Panama, Nicaragua, Belize, and most people have actually been going to Nicaragua 
um, because Nicaragua never mandated anything over the last year and a half. If you were a private business owner and you wanted to stay open, you were able to stay open. If you're a private business and you felt comfortable telling people to mask up, then you would tell people to mask up. And so every, you know, every country, every, I mean, even in the States, you're seeing that each place is um, mandating something different and doing something a little bit differently. And it's the same thing across the region in, in these countries are all doing things differently. And so there have been a lot of people and I, I've seen more people in the last year and a half who have put everything they had on the market in the United States, pick up with a couple of suitcases or if they really like their stuff, they ship stuff down and they moved. And, you know, I get it. You're never going to be able to find the perfect place necessarily, but you do have to be able to find the country that treats you the best and where it is that you feel the most comfortable. And, and it's been interesting to see that. And we've really considered this this you know the lifestyle of owning real estate in Latin America as a plan B for a lot of people. It's a landing pad in case you ever want to spend time there. Just like Charlie mentioned, having that residency, essentially a green card that gives you permission to live in that country and spend as much time as you want there. Uh, is a great place to start. And maybe you'll need the residency. Maybe you'll need the tiny home or the landing pad or your eco-conscious or eco-friendly home. Maybe not. But in the meantime, you can at least get it rented, get some alternative um, you know, income stream coming in, in in the meantime. And it's been incredible to see this. And we've been going to Anarchapoca for a long time now. And uh, I don't know if any of you guys were there at the, the last one that was just in, in Mexico, but it was really neat to see this group. I heard you guys say it before, this group of like-minded people talking about the, the bulking, buying in bulk. You know, it really is this like-minded group of people that are coming together where, you know, I know it's great that we have groups like this. We're able to come on Zoom and, and talk openly and freely with each other. But wouldn't it be even nicer if you could do that with your next door neighbor who is living a house or two or three down from you? And it's just, I found really difficult, especially, you know, in the States and, and to you, I'm from New York. It's it's really difficult to find that group of, of like-minded people. You know, coming when I go back to the states, you know, there are the questions: Are you vaccinated? Are you doing this? Are you doing that? In in this part of the world, no one cares. You know, no one cares. Life is continuing on in Nicaragua, especially you as an adult and as an individual can make your own choice about what you want to do with your health. So it's been it's been really it's been really neat to see, and I think this whole concept of being able to sustain yourself, like regardless of where you are. And if it's, I don't know if we can curse on here. Should hit the fan. Yes, please. And okay. <laughs> and it, it does, you know, maybe it's not going to matter where in the world you are, but you at least want to know that you're going to be able to sustain yourself and your family. You're going to be amongst like-minded individuals and you're at least going to be able to, to live in a place that's beautiful. Hopefully, you know, you're not necessarily in some four walls in the city. You're able to garden if you want. If you're a surfer, you can go out and surf regularly. I mean, thinking about lifestyle and, and what you want your life to look like if it does get to the point where where internet is gone or there's an EMP or something like that, what do you want your life to look like? And I think a lot of us, you know, we're just so so used to what life is like in the States and what we've been trained. And I know this group here is an unusual group in a sense, we're kind of the black sheep of society where you know, you're thinking outside the box. You're thinking about what are you going to do? You're preparing, you're doing a lot of the work that other people aren't doing at this point. And I think that, that that speaks in itself, but it's been neat to see Nicaragua, I think is where I lived for a while and it was my introduction into Latin America, but it's been really neat to see this group of like-minded people band together and create a community and, and be able to to share opinions and thoughts and and know that they have other people that they can talk to as well. So like I said, everywhere, everywhere is a little different. Every place has its own charm that some people are attracted to. Some people it just simply is a you know plan Z, but in the meantime, at least know that they have some sort of security overseas. But yeah, yeah. thanks. Thanks, Charlie, oh. for bringing it up. 
and I'll I'll put the link in the description as well if people mm-hmm. want to get more information about you guys, what you guys are building, or or whatever. Sure. I think it's I think it's worth at least thinking about it, you know, yeah. because we're in a in a time now like the time to when you want to leave, it's too late. Yeah. You know, when you need to leave, like when it when you feel like it's time oh it's time to get the fuck yeah. out of here right now, it might be too late. So it is kind of worth doing short-term, medium-term, and long-term yeah. prepping. And this might be the long-term prepping that you start now for right. an adventure, for, for a, a departure that happens a couple years from now or, or you yeah. know, whatever. So I just think it's important for us to maybe just come at it from a, a, a couple different angles. Obviously, Ernie is is well-versed in, in, in the keeping the communication lines open uh, in, in the and that will obviously be crucial too. But um, you know, I, I wanted to you know segue into you know that because when you were talking about Azure standard, Azure is in Oregon, and it's a guy named David Stelter, I think his name is. About four years ago, in seventeen, they were being targeted because they wouldn't use glyphosate. They were had uh, wheat and so on out in Oregon, and my wife and I drove up there and we spent a few days with them. They gave us a tour of their farm, showed us their facility. We hung out with them all day. We did a three hour show. It was awesome. And the reason was is because they had some thistle weeds or something, but they had competitors there and they were doing very well organically. Like what you were talking about, they would accumulate, they had a big distribution warehouse up there and they would put, you know, fresh, you know, refrigerated trucks with vegetables and fruits and trees and all kinds of stuff. And they would ship it and they had health stuff too, like, you know, organic or, or uh, hygiene products that didn't kill you, you know, that kind of thing. And they ship it to somebody's garage here in Phoenix area. You go, you know, our pallets are in, you go over to your neighbor and then you just pick out all your stuff, you know, that you ordered and you had quality, good food. I don't know if this is going to be available anymore, but if they control the internet and communication, you're not able to even put up a list, you know, or communicate, it's going to stop. And they don't want this stuff to happen. So what we did is we went up there and we found out what was going on. So being Oregon, you would think, ooh, you know, it's uh, organic and we want it organic. And if they put glyphosate on it, they can't say they're organic for at least three years. So we made a big deal out of it. They got a lot of attention. And then the county, I remember what they said. They go, you cheated. You used the Internet. <laughs> what? You know? So they did not like him coming under the attention. Well, finally, they backed off. You know, but it was only after, you know, people like us gave a lot of attention to this stuff. And that was four years ago. It's only gotten worse. And when you look at places to go around the world, I want to ask Rachel, you know, how sustainable is this when these countries get this pressure? And a lot of times they say, well, the laws there are, and I go, I don't really care about the laws. It's what the culture is, the people, what they accept, and their ability to communicate outside the system. Because a lot of times the people, hell yeah, I'm in with, I'm down with, you know, filling up a pallet and sending it to, you know, my friend in another city of you go get your stuff. But if they're checking everybody at borders or people aren't able to four-wheel drive over the mountain or something like that, What's the culture like in Nicaragua and some of these Central American countries, yeah. uh, aside from the law? Sure. And I mean, some of them are more complacent than others. You know, in, in, in Belize, where 
Um, some folks in a lot of the, the, the country didn't necessarily like what was going on and how there were lockdowns in this, but it was a bit of a lazy culture where the complaining was happening over Facebook and actually doing, instead of actually doing something about it, I would say Nicaragua, uh, you know, they really stand up for what they believe in. You may remember there were some social security reforms back in 2018 and instead of them sitting back like sheeps and accepting it, they, they, they stood up for themselves. There were protests and they did end up ultimately getting the social social um, security reforms re amended based on what it was that they wanted to accomplish. And so I think, you know, each country, each culture definitely is a little different. But Nicaragua is the one I think that just continues to to stand out. And, you know, there are a lot of countries within the region. Why? Are, why Nicaragua? Why? I think, well, this is why I think there are a lot of countries that are dependent on the U.S., um, you know, Belize is one of them. Our, uh, our our currency is pegged to the U.S. dollar here, two Belize dollars to one U.S. dollar. Essentially, no Panama. <laughs> yeah, essentially, Panama runs on the Balboa, which is really the U.S. dollar. But Nicaragua, you know, in a sense, has its own its own culture, its own community, its own currency, and a lot of that is you know because of there was a lot of animosity between the states and and Nicaragua. And you know, you when you look up Nicaragua online, you look at the media, you read all the horrible things that are happening. I can tell you, back in 2012. Um, when I told my parents I was moving there, that the first thing they thought I was, is how dangerous it was. I was going to get kidnapped. But it's the complete opposite of that. When you actually get down there and experiencing it, experience it for yourself, and you're able to see that it's not you know, the most dangerous country in the world. In fact, Nicaragua is safer in terms of homicides per 100,000 compared to Costa Rica and Panama. And everybody thinks about how safe Costa Rica is. So I think there's just this whole perception about it because that's the, the narrative that the states want because Nicaragua has never truly complied to to the U.S. And as a result, they're able to 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 not. What's what's the racial people. demographic? You know, I mean, how old or younger people? How many Europeans? Yeah. How many light skinned, dark skinned, yeah. freckle faced, redheaded, sure. whatever black people? I mean, what what does Nicaragua racial makeup? Sure, I mean Latino truly mostly Nicaraguan. It's you know in a sense monoculture, but there was a big influx of Germans in the forties. And so you do tend to find that there's a German, yeah, a German influence there in Nicaragua, which I think is pretty interesting. There's been some, uh, a bunch of North Americans moving down over the years, but I would say in the 80s when there was the, the revolution, a lot of folks tended tend to move outside of Nicaragua and moving back uh, over the last 10, 15 years, there have been a lot of the younger people who were either born in the States or their parents moved them at a young age. Um, it's 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 a growing it's a growing economy there. There's more opportunities other than there has been previously, and so I think you know as a result, it's 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 just a really neat place to to check out. Great cigars too. Great cigars, great rum. Like, and they also you know, produce their own items in the country. And thanks for mentioning that, Ricky. It has a, its own economy there, where it's not you know dependent on the U.S. and Belize. And, you know, I hate to say it here, but we really don't produce much of our own anything. And so, you know, you get the typical tropical fruits, which are great, the bananas. But um, at the end of the day, it doesn't necessarily have that sort of economy that a place like like Nicaragua does. Well, does Nicaragua just have food growing on trees? I mean, you could you're, you're oh, not going to starve. Yeah, tons, tons. And I mean, especially where we're, we're located in, in the Pacific, it's about 45 minutes an hour from Managua. But there's an incredible volcanic soil there. And so anything grows just really quite quick, quickly. You're going to see tons of fruit trees. I mean, most people within our communities have some sort of fruit trees, whether it's bananas, plantains, pineapple, papaya, watermelon. Um, and, and I know you guys are talking about the whole organic concept before in, in you know, a lot, a lot of this, this part of the world. 
food is just organic. That's how the farmers grow. They don't have the money necessarily to be putting pesticides on all of the, the produce that they're growing. A lot of it is natural. Um, so it's, it's well, how is private property rights protected? If I go, can I buy land? Do I got to do it through an 18 year old uh, Nicaraguan kid or at least with, with ours, it's all, it's all fully titled. I mean, we, we, as a company have been in Nicaragua for 20, 25 years and, you know, feel very comfortable there, which is why we've invested tens of millions of dollars into the infrastructure and the growth of the areas that we're in. And you know, we do a lot of corporate social responsibility as well. And I think, you know, when foreigners go into another country, there are of course capitalists and it's great to have a capitalist mindset, but at the same time, you have to realize you are a foreigner going into this country. How can you contribute to the economy that you're you're developing in? And so we do a ton of corporate social responsibility and we encourage our guests and residents to do so as our, our guys um, who lives there on site teaches guitar to the kids in the community. We have a handful of other owners who are out reading English books to the, the community members. Sponsor so. the local soccer team. Yes, yes. And softball is actually, we have a softball field right uh, right down the way from us. So we get a lot of softball there. And it's not uncommon. I just saw some pictures yesterday. One of our, our, our sales girls was out there playing softball and the cows just start walking on the back of the field. I mean, it was so so entertaining. It was so, so Nicaraguan and I loved it, but it's a, it's a, it's a good pace. And, you know, I like Charlie, how you mentioned that it doesn't have to be your, your, your decision right now. You don't necessarily have to move there right now, but you do know that if there's ever the point that you do want to move there or spend time and you know, I'm not just saying Nicaragua, there are other great countries in the world, but you at least know that you have the option. You can go down, spend time there if you want. You can put your, your home or your tiny home or your, your eco-friendly casino. How are they about airlines traveling mass vaccines? How does that work? Yeah, so, the, you know, the country, um, you, you do need to have a negative test taken within 72 hours of traveling coming into the country. But once you're in the country, you don't need to be masked if uh, if you don't want to be. There are some places where it's if it's a private institution and the private institution decided to mandate masking, then they'll be assigned and say it's mandated. But essentially, the president gave a gave a speech along the lines of, you know, we're not we're not your parents. We're not going to tell you what to do. You can make your own medical decisions. If you have parents or elderly or, or sickly folks at home, maybe you shouldn't necessarily be going out to, to big group parties, but we're not going to tell you what to do. And then, of course, it was followed by, you know, some big celebration hosted by the, the city of Managua. But you know, you were adults. Make make your own decision. If you feel comfortable going out to the grocery store, go to the grocery store unmasked. If you feel comfortable staying home, stay home. You know, why why should somebody else tell you and make that decision for you if they don't necessarily know what's best for you? Well, they're not going to be getting a Christmas card from the World Bank and IMF this year. Right. <laughs> you say why, but that doesn't stop it. You know, our country. You know, one thing be- before I, I got to go, I, I definitely wanted to hear what your guys think. My thing is, this is going to be a food thing. This is going to turn into a food thing, a food thing. It's going to be about food. And what are you guys' plans? I mean, what are you advocating? Well, what do you see if happening? I, uh, if I could jump in, somebody who I've recently spoke to, he was on the Higher Side Chats in Tinfoil Hat recently. Uh, hello, Sam's representative here, folks. Uh, Jim Gale, Food Forest Abundance. I mean, this guy really is hitting the ground running uh, and installing all of these food-bearing plants in people's homes. I mean, lawns take up way too much space. They're complete waste. And if you want to talk about chemicals, we're spending all this money to poison our own lawns every year. You know, it's just absurd the amount of space that's wasted so i think projects like that are incredibly inspiring and are going to continue to 
expand. You know, Jim's company allows folks in their own area to get started and become installers. So if what's, you know, what's somebody's the name of the small business went under, they can maybe recover by installing Food Forest. It's called Food Forest Abundance. And you can go to foodforestabundance.com. But yeah, that's just one of many things that's out there in the pipe. And just this show alone, I mean, it's, it's in the 0.05%. I think I got that correct of all podcasts. So there's a lot of people listening to this and a lot of people are trying to change for the better. I think that's always important to highlight, you know, you listening out there. Was that it? I didn't know if we lost you or you stopped talking. Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> yeah, no, I just went to it. I, I'm going to get him on. There's a guy named Greg Peterson here in Phoenix that for years, you know, we've uh, worked with them. And what happened with the Paul Evolution thing, it kind of, you know, we were like in the middle. You had the conservative Republican types and then the, you know, the food uh, hippie commune of square foot gardening kind of on the other side. And when we go to um, prepper fest, you know, different kind of prepper events and so on, they would both be there and we kind of stitch them together and we're all buds with everybody. And Greg Peterson was one of these guys that was kind of for the conservatives and the liberals. It was about food production. And what he did is he always advocated for these dwarf trees, like what you're talking about, instead of having a hedge, have a hedge that makes pears. I mean, you know, and uh, you would keep them down to where you could reach the top of them so that you didn't have to climb ladders or something. They would only be like seven feet tall or something like that. And all the plants, decorative or not, produced food. And the thing that was interesting is they come to bear fruit at different times. So you have a certain breed of peach that would be, you know, late May. Then another one that would be early June, then mid-June, then late June. There's all these different foods, so you don't have this freaking buckets you're giving all your neighbors like grapefruit or something you're done to, you know, pawn off on everybody. You are actually eating for here in Phoenix, God, six, seven months out of the year. You know, from your own lawn. Well, my senior editor before he passed away, Pal Gamel, he had probably about 200 trees on his acre lot. He had four per square of different kinds. It was amazing. And it's called, um, I can't remember what he called. It. He did an article on it in one of our e-zines, but it is, it is possible for us to feed ourselves off of small areas. I've done aquaponics. We've had over 60, 70 chickens, goats, turkeys. I mean, everything just to give ourselves confidence, my family and I, my wife, to make sure that we knew we could feed ourselves and what we needed. And here in Arizona, you add water, it grows. I mean, that's just the way it is. So it's all about the water thing. So a lot of you guys, you do these shows and we're getting into this you know, zombie apocalypse of, oh, oh my God, whatever is coming. And then they go, oh, you got to have guns to protect your silver to buy your food or your food. You know, that kind of stuff. But it really comes down to food. And I'm wondering, you know, just like uh, Mark was talking about, you know, is there a a plan that you guys are advocating or a mechanism or a co-op or a, you know, kind of like a Zur standard, you know, having pallets delivered, you know, the community we're doing black market Fridays.com that goes to agorist.market 
which is all about training. I, I mean, we're encouraging people just to train themselves on how to use alternative currencies to be able to purchase this stuff. And then we have, you know, like uh, these uh, delivery things, you know, like the, this Uber type going across country in my van, I'm, you know, pay for my gas and I'll deliver your pallet or whatever. You know, these things are there. This is what's developing right now. And that's what's going to save us. But the problem is, I am afraid that they're just going to flip off a DNS number system of your IP and, and you're done. So we have to bypass that. So that's what, you know, why we work on communication so much. If anyone's interested, I did a show, actually my most popular episode of Macroaggressions was like two weeks ago and it was called Getting Yourself Ready. And I put, I had, um, I, I just made it like actionable information. If anyone is interested, anyone that's listening is interested in getting some ideas that I had on there, just I, I encourage you, go back and listen to that episode because I had an earthquake survival kit that I had built myself <laughs> from all these things, all, almost everything at the dollar store. It was amazing. I was building them and selling them, but I, I've got an earthquake survival kit list. If you listen to that episode, I'll email it to you, you can, so you can make them for yourself, get your family set up or make them and sell them or whatever you want to do. Just it's, I think it's important for us to start thinking about this stuff. I mean, I know it's always been sort of like theoretical. Oh, prepping or we've goofed on the preppers like, oh, those preppers are kind of crazy. Well, we owe the preppers an apology because they're right. They're seeing quite rightly what's coming. And I think it might be time for us to at least invest a little bit of energy into actually thinking about these things and saying, okay, if the lights go off, and I hope they don't, but if the lights go off, how ready am I? Am I going to be the guy that jumps into action and is like, I got this. I'm t- my family always thought I was crazy, but now I've got it under control because I, I took a, a couple hours and went ahead and did this stuff. Or are you going to be freaking out? And I feel like it's like, we're punished enough for being into this alternative information and your conspiracy theorists and your preppers and all that. We take all this shit from everybody. The least we can do <clears throat> benefit from it, you know, for it, say, well, we took all the shit, but at least we got ready. You know, we took the additional step of actually doing something about this. So I think it's kind of important. It's, it's one thing to like be interested in this information and listen to it and go, yeah, those guys are probably right what they're talking about. But then if you don't take that next step of starting to do some of these things, then you're really going to feel stupid when it, cause you're going to be like, Oh, I totally knew it was going to cut. I knew it was coming and I didn't do anything. And I listened to Alex Jones and he told me and I didn't do anything. So like, <laughs> we've got to like, start, start thinking about this, this stuff. Well, like start thinking about this stuff. So, uh, for us, my, my wife and myself, we have slowly been building to being more self-sustainable, but People need to think about this situation. What if the lights go off, electricity goes off just for two weeks? Most people, I don't think, could deal with that. At about the five-day mark, uh, things are going to start getting pretty squirrely around here. And so while we would be okay here, we have enough food to last for a few months With this, if it's just us and maybe two other people, i got to start worrying about neighbors. Yeah, my closest neighbor is maybe... 200 feet away and out in the out in the, the farmlands but what if they're hungry i should have some food for them because a hungry neighbor is not a good thing to have uh, everyone's armed out here and so i'd rather have enough food to not only feed my family but also a couple different neighbors uh, so they're not only looking out for themselves they're also looking out for me because i give them food 
<laughs> so I am basically paying off some people to kind of leave us alone. And you know, so- one of the things that I advocated a lot on the show years ago was tampons. And I go, you know, all menstruating women must come to me. I mean, you know, I'm like, you know, how much are you going to pay for a tampon? Rachel, I mean, there's no tampons. Am I going to have some money? I mean, you know, what's up? I so, know. There's some friend- good new technology for women. But, yes, that's that's definitely, uh, <laughs> no, I, definitely something to think about. It's it true. was getting people to think about it. Yes. And when we left Phoenix uh, in May, our grandkids, I was back in Maine working on the bus and so on. And, and uh, my grandchildren, they were 9 and 10 at the time, they were helping grandma take everything out of the attic. And they found hundreds of rolls of toilet paper. And they're going, here's all the toilet paper, you know, so our family had that. And then the reason was, is on the air, whenever they do something to piss me off, I go, another bundle of toilet paper, you know, another 50 pound bag of beans, another, you know, I mean, I, just as a, out of principle, because what else are you going to do? It was mental health. But um, there's a lot of things. I have friends that he had a whole bunch cases of Crown Royal. And I go, man, you must really like Crown Royal. He goes, nope. <laughs> I'm going to be a rich son bitch, you know? So it's not just for stuff that you want. It's for stuff that's going to be in scarce supply. And then one of my other friends goes, nope, I made a still. <laughs> so, you know, it's these kinds of things. And um, if we think ahead on this, I'm thinking we're going to be fine. But like you're saying, you know, when your neighbor's hungry, you know, you're kind of screwed. You know, you're either going to have to kill them or they're going to kill you. I mean, it's one of those kind of things. When you go hungry, it's always a food thing. So we need to be thinking about food, 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 food. So I, you know, I just advocate for that. There's a, and electricity. Now I want to put this out there for people. There's a, a really good YouTube channel and his name is Will Prowse, P-R-O-W-S-E. He's only like 30 years old and for years he'd been advocating. He just lived in a, you know, van down by the river doing, you know, solar. And now he's got paid off nice, big, you know, Las Vegas house. But uh, his claim to fame was doing all of this solar, how to use it, how to get it, you know, what different things are good to buy and the cost analysis, all that kind of stuff. And uh, lithium iron phosphate batteries, which I have for Battleborns, but they are so cheap now, and you can put your own battery packs together, that what used to be what I wanted to do, I'm going to be all powered up. Homie's going to you know, have all his refrigerators, freezers, and big screen TVs and computers to run it. I got my air conditioning, and woohoo, I got Arizona Sun, you can all suck it, you know? Well, that was $60,000. Now it's like $8,000. It is freaking stupid cheap, but... What's happening is access, even though the prices are still down because China, whatever, they'll just wait three months, you know, to get it to you. But the availability of lithium iron phosphate batteries and ones you can just put together yourself or cheap ones or whatever, this chemistry, and I'm sure there's different stuff and upgrades and there's going to be silicon ion and blah, 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 graphene, blah, blah, blah is coming. But uh, they're called life or something, L-I-F-E-P-O-4, lithium iron phosphate batteries are so butt-ass cheap, and the solar panels have gotten to where you could have the standard of life in the desert with many split, you know, uh, I, I have a friend, Bob Anderson, who's out in Tonopah, in the middle of the desert, 120 degrees. He has too many splits. He has solar power 
one little windmill just so he doesn't get pissed off when the wind's blowing. And, you know, these batteries, and he lives off grid with for like 13 years. And he said, I hardly turn on my generator anymore. We can have a quality life. And I'm afraid that when people start to realize this, you're not going to be able to buy them at any price. But now it is cheap to electrify yourself. Lithium iron phosphate, look them up. Will Prouse, P-R-O-W-S-E, is out of Vegas, teaches you from, from nuts to bolts about everything. It's butt-ass simple, and all of us in the Liberty community should be doing this now, or you're not going to have power, because that's where they're going to get you. It's going to be food, then water, power. They're going to try and control you. Another quick little thing, uh, tampons are uh, also good for plugging uh, bullet wounds and puncture wounds, so uh, keep that one in mind. Yeah, I get a um, first aid kit. We were at Jackalope, and a small child stepped in a fire. And what's the first place they go? Grandpa Ernie, man. He's going, I got a big red backpack medical kit. And roll it out. Well, well, let's see. What do we need? We need this, this, this. You know, if you're prepped, you know, it's, you know, these small little things. And silver, you know, silk, just colloidal silver stuff cures so much crap. And, of course, they don't want you to know that. You know, so I'm really – about um, uh, having this knowledge of grandma. I mean, you know, my grandmother, it was amazing what she could do with turpentine. I mean, you know, dewormer, parasites, you're doing a couple drops of turpentine on sugar. You say that now and everybody thinks you're crazy. I go, look it up. I mean, you know, this is like, we grew up on this kind of stuff and all of this stuff is gone in favor of some pharmaceutical that has some other side effect. They have to buy another pharmaceutical. So I'm just, I'm, I, I'm glad you guys did this show. I got to go. But I'm telling you, this is way more important than I think people realize. It's about energy, food, water, communication, community. Everywhere I go around the country, it's always about community. Everybody talks about community. And I always have three questions. What do I have to do? What can't I do? And what's your conflict resolution? As soon as you can tell me that, then maybe I want to be in your hippie commune or not. You know, but I want to make sure that, you know, I, you know, they go, well, you have to. Well, I don't want to do that. (laughs) So it really comes down to property rights. And all these discussions, if you look at the founders and the agrarian lifestyle that they anticipated for America, is these discussions have already been had. What's the proper role of government? The defense of your individual rights, which includes your body. You can't force notions and potions into my flesh and protection of my property. My individual rights being protected. And if government isn't doing that, it's time to alter or abolish. It's your right, your duty. Because I'm just like, that's the only reason they were there. So we need to bypass and become our own government or our own, you know, uh, uh, protection of our own rights kind of thing. Because I don't see this administration or the one before or the one after doing it. It's just not going to happen. Hey, I, I got dinner waiting on me. I got grandchildren. I'm back in Arizona. Thank you for this inspiring conversation. I feel a lot better just knowing you guys are out there talking about this. You know, this is awesome. But I got to go. Peace, guys. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Ernest. Oh, boy. We got uh, Darren joined us. Hey, Darren. And uh, Zach hasn't uh, chimed in yet, so I'd love to talk to uh, Zach and Darren just kind of get their overall opinion on what, what do you do when the shit hits the fan? That's the question. You should probably just shut the fuck up for a couple of weeks. 
would be my advice. I mean, I don't want power for at least a couple of months. I'm probably not going to turn on the barbecue or the furnace for a while. I'm probably just going to, you know, cook some meat in my basement here and there, eat a lot of rice and keep super low profile with the windows closed. You know, maybe even through the first winter, because I mean, feeding your neighbor is great. If you live someplace where there's only going to be a couple of neighbors showing up at your step. But I mean, if there's going to be a couple and then a couple of dozen and then a couple of hundred and, you know, my 500 pounds of meat is going to be gone in a couple of days instead of six months. So, I mean, I just, my plan is to, uh, there's a couple of people that'll be, you know, welcome here. They know who they are. And we're just going to hunker down in the basement without any power or if it's not even any fire or the generator's not going on and I'm not even firing up the wood furnace. So you're basically uh, taking the, the fuck em approach. Yeah. Fuck you kind of, I mean, you, I guess you got to, you got to choose, you got to yeah. choose what, what you want to do. And I think, uh, if you want to help people, that's great, but you're very quickly going to be, I think, helping is going to be leading a roving band of hungry people busting into a bunch of houses looking scavenging for food. Because, I mean, there's a reason that that the indigenous people that lived here before roamed around in in, in bands of, of clans most of the time, and a clan of 40 to 60 to maybe 70 or 80 people, and that would be the upper end. Because once you get 300 people together, it's real hard living off the land. I don't care where you are. I don't care. You know, you're talking about needing a dozen deer a day or more just to just to keep some protein going. And now we're not even talking about fucking rice and berries. How many berries do you need? Or, you know, how much shit do you need to feed 300 people? So, I mean, it very, that's why the indigenous people that lived here before roamed around in clans of 40 or 50 people. Usually they'd meet up you know, several times a year for celebrations and their feasts and stuff like that. But the rest of the time, you're talking about 40 or 50 people that are working together, roaming around because that's sort of what, that's what the land anywhere you go is going to sustain. I mean, a, a couple of hundred people or a couple of thousand people, that sounds great, but you better have cattle and grain production and all of this stuff in place Otherwise, you're just going to watch those people slowly starve to guess and kill, starve to death and kill each other the first winter. If you have winter, I mean, it depends on your situation. But I mean, you start thinking about how much just a hundred people eat in a day. It's a lot of fucking food. It's a lot of food. So I mean, I think my my approach is to hunker down, make my my supplies last to my fifteen or twenty people for a few months. Let the sort of super hungry people wear themselves out. And then maybe in the spring you start working on on your your clan system because I mean it depends what kind of breakdown you're talking about too. If it's a government overthrow, that's a different thing, you know. If it's a solar flare where the power's out forever, I mean we've just taken a giant, giant, giant step back where where it's going to slowly get back to tribes and people wandering around the land trying to live off it. Um, in some capacity, some other people are going to go agriculture and stuff like that. But I mean, if you're thinking long-term survival, you, you just, I think you really got to wait out the first, 
the beauty of just having, if you're living in a little apartment or something and you're like, listen, I don't have, I can't get 300 pounds of meat. I don't have any fucking money. I don't have the money to go buy 300 pounds of meat. I don't have the money for a freezer. I can't hunt. So you can go spend 60 bucks and have like a hundred pounds of rice in your closet. And I mean, that's not the greatest. It's not going to have all your nutritional value in it, but it's going to fill up your belly and you're going to make good decisions. And I mean, for the first couple of months, that's going to be a big, big deal. Just having something in your belly so you can make decent decisions. Because after three or four days without food, your decision-making process is going to start breaking down fast. Your ability to think things out and have a critical thought process is going to break down probably after about four or five days without food. And after about seven or eight days without food, you're going to be imperceptible, imperceptible from uh, um, a wild animal, you know, in a lot of ways. So that's kind of the thought process to be, be thinking of. So now you got to think that your neighbors that are wandering around the streets, you know, once you're two or three weeks into this thing, aren't your neighbors anymore. They're, they've, there's something different. Hungry people are a different fucking thing than anything any of us have ever fucking experienced. I mean, say, I don't know any of your backgrounds. Maybe you've been someplace. I haven't experienced it, but um, I don't think any of us have experienced a crowd of fucking people that haven't eaten in two weeks. Um, and I don't think we want it, but I don't think you're going to be like, here, man, you guys can each have a piece of my steak because, you know, they're going to fucking rip your door down. And just rip the place apart, I think. That mob mentality. And it just add to that, add what those people do when they're in a mobbed up rage and now don't feed them for two weeks. I, I mean, I think the situation uh, could easily be that uh, people are just not showing up to work to continue the normal operations of utilities, either due to fear or they're not around anymore because of some die off like half the population died off and the knowledge that is required to keep those generators going and the power plants going is just not there so that's just the same thing then pretty quick yeah that would deteriorate pretty I mean, quick most of these most of these most of these towns and cities are like fucking three weeks away from no food from no food like if if the truck stopped coming to my local grocery stores tomorrow it's less than a month before there's not much food in this entire fucking town. Other than what people have stashed in their pantries. I know we're talking about like a zombie apocalypse, but honestly, just learning how to grow your own food and doing a lot of these things, even if things don't break down to the point where people are eating each other, it, it's still important just to be independent and not be so dependent on the local grocery store and all that stuff. I mean, if you look at the history of suburbs, that was a big part of it was trying to get people to not have communities and not share food. And, you know, I, I live in a, a little Portuguese community uh, where I was born in northern Portugal on a farm. They, they had no running water. They had uh, but they had food and alcohol because we we're winemakers. So uh, we always had the necessities of, of alcohol and 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 food and people were happier. You know, it, it sounds really almost like this is a last resort type thing. Like, oh my God, if the world ended, all the things we're talking about and the lifestyles we're talking about is are, are horrendous, but they're not. Uh, I, I talk to my parents quite often about how they came to America, sold this idea 
of the American dream of getting all these material things and all these things are great and you're going to be happier because you have more ones and zeros in the bank account, but they're more stressed or they have less energy, they have less community, they spend less time with their friends and family and they spend more time doing the shit they have to do and less time doing the things they actually enjoy doing. And I know farming sounds like a lot of work and it sounds, but you get up when the sun comes up, you go, you, you know, you, you eat late and you, you drink and you take long breaks and you hang out and that type of lifestyle isn't that bad. Yeah. I know it sounds horrible to not have running water or internet or whatever, but you, we have each other, right? And when you have community and you have friendships and you have family around, I mean, that's where that saying it takes a tribe, right? I, I, everybody was a part of raising the kids. You know, one thing we talk a lot about is just like the government, the government. I mean, that's what we've kind of, the society we've kind of, and culture we've kind of built in America where it's like, you Parents go right back to work. That means the school is influencing your children. That means the government is influencing your children. You're not influencing your children. The family's not influencing their children. They're not the ones who are around nurturing and caring for the, for the, the children. And back in the day, or even like just a generation back in, in my family, everybody was a part of that. Like I had aunts take care of me when I was a kid. We had grandparents. We had uncles and aunt. everybody was around. Everybody kind of pitched. But considering, Ricky, considering like what you just described, right? The indoctrination system. To me, I kind of take this conversation a little more lightly because I don't think they would have put the investment into this indoctrination system if we were all just going to get killed off uh, within a hundred years of this whole system kind of really getting up to speed and with Zach here, I'm curious to know if he thinks, you know, what they have so far with AI, is it enough to replace what we as the, you know, common people are doing to keep the elite at that pyramid? And, and really a major part of this spell or the magic of it all, the ritual of it all is keeping us in this state of panic and fear and, and short-term thinking while they make long-term plans and investments. So I'm curious to, to see how AI fits into all this because my thought would be that we as a society would kind of continue to head down this path of unsurety uh, as long as it serves them until they can replace us. Well, before, uh, let me just add to, to what you said, Mark, real quick. I, I kind of agree with you. This whole scenario of everybody being hungry and uh, again, uh, uh, anything could happen. I, I don't know. This is just my personal opinion. But you see the push for UBI, the universal basic income. You see, And I think there's a big reason for that because People revolutions do happen when when people are hungry, when the necessities are gone. They know that that won't happen as long as you're giving people food, as long as their bellies are full, as long as you have the necessities. They can control our lives any way they want. They can do everything else. There's not going to be a revolution to the point where people are going to be out in the streets, similar or at least it wouldn't happen as quickly as as when people are hungry. When people are hungry, that's when you see revolutions happen. That's when you see. Coups, you know, people take down the government and, and, and coups happen and great changes historically. I mean, because people are hungry, you don't have the necessities, you have no other options. It's a last resort. So when you see this push for UBI, you can kind of see the just the, the plan, right? Like, let's keep people with the necessities. Let's keep them satisfied enough where they'll complain, they'll get mad, but they're not going to go out in the streets and, and, and take over the government in a way or 
similar to a country where people were hungry and you're like, fuck it. I have nothing else to lose. Like, let's, let's take down the government. Let's, let's all gather and talk about how do we, you know, how do we take down this government or how do we uh, create a, a, a change quicker? So I, I, I'm kind of, it's not that it can't happen. And I think it's, it's probably good to talk about it and prepare for it, but I just don't see it happening because I think it's a, it's a way of keeping control. You keep control by keeping people having those necessities. We'll complain, we'll get mad, but we'll also continue with our lives because of it. Agree, disagree, anybody? Well, I was hoping that Zach would weigh in. He was asked a question by uh, Mark about, is AI ready at this point to take over and maintain the lifestyle that the elite are used to living? You're, uh, I think you're, you're muted there, Zach. There you go. Hi there. Yeah. Um, AI taking over. Obviously, we're not there yet, but we're approaching um, that situation. And my thoughts are if the AI is trying to come kill you, then you're, it's pretty much it. Well, I don't know um, about come kill us, but good enough to where we don't need as many workers as what we have right now. Oh, yeah. That's, that's going to happen, right? Like... Um, there is the value of human labor, and it's always had like a price. And um, imperialists wanted that labor because it expanded their empire. And right now we're coming to this really interesting sort of uh, crossover point where the uh, value of human labor and soon intellectual achievement will fall to zero because it'll just be abundant everywhere. And the question is, um, you know, what can we really offer uh, an empire? If our value of our labor and our output is close to zero, like essentially at that point, we just become complaining, um, you know, hungry mouths that require resources and don't really have any productive output. And so one of the scary things is, um, you know, if I was a hyper rational oligarch, what would I want to do? And I might just want to kill off 95% of the population, either slowly or um, very fast. And so the question is, are they going to be doing that very slowly or, or very fast, right? And that's one of the reasons why uh, I'm not taking the vaccine because I can't really figure out what exactly is going on right now. Is this a cooling situation? Well, if it was a cooling situation, I would certainly do the steps that we've seen right now with the vaccine and the emergency use authorization and, um, and then, you know, force it into us and then destabilize the population, you know, while it happens. Or maybe we're heading for World War III and it's going to be fought by biotic warfare. And so right now this is all just a live exercise for World War III when it happens. We don't know. We can't look into a crystal ball. We don't really know if the whole world politics is a theatrical performative act or whether it's a legitimate fight for power. And um, the thing is, is that if we get into a situation where, um, you know, the AI turns on us, um, I think that that's like, you know, it's pretty much like game over, right? Like you know, it's humans versus robots is just not even going to be, you know, it's, it's like people fighting, um, bringing a gun battle to a spear fight, you know, um, or even something even more drastic. And uh, yeah, so I mean, that's why I think about the AI. Like, you know, I, 
you guys are all sitting here kind of like prepping. It's like, oh, what kind of food, you know? And I'm sitting here realizing that this is how I would probably default. I'm going to play this. thought I could fix this. And I'm starting to think about having to eat my neighbors. You- I mean, yeah, eat, eat your neighbors, grab a gun, go to can- cannibalism um, and start eat eating your, your neighbors. Ass. It seems like that is the best uh, result forward because, um, yeah, like let's say bad stuff happens and you're in the middle of a city and they run out of food. Like unless you live like out in the farms themselves, everyone's just going to result to cannibalism really quickly because there's just not enough food anywhere to feed all those people. So well, just start Zach, you got to get out of the city and uh, yeah. like you, you got to leave. And obviously the highways will probably be jammed. And so yep. people are going to have to wind up walking railroad tracks or following rivers or streams just to get out of the city. And then yeah. you need horses because your cars aren't going to have gas after two or three weeks. I Pretty mean, much. I'll feel much better when I've got my horses just for that reason, because now I've got the ability to actually leave my farm and, and hunt, you know, because the cars aren't going to work for long. If all this sort of starts breaking down, the, the, the gas is, is going to be, you know, either before the food at the same time or a couple of days after. It's all part of that same supply chain that's coming in on trucks and you know you see the trucks coming at the gas station and they pump the gas in every two or three days and then we all go and pump that shit out just the same as they're pumping in the tuna and everything else into the grocery stores and we go and cart that shit out so if i heard uh zach correctly uh he basically countered ricky's argument <laughs> so zach is saying hey they might just uh uh wipe us out because We'll we'll turn annoying. We're more annoying than we are producing. And well, so when they started that education system, they didn't see this. Uh, they couldn't. They had no way of foreseeing that. Holy fuck! We could just have robot butlers ah. and robot miners and fucking robot. This we don't need all. You know that. I don't think that that time when they were making our the slaves, they probably weren't thinking that. You know, fucking robots were a real thing that was coming up. Within 150 years. And they might not need America anymore. They have China. And so our usefulness at this point, we just might be done. But if the robots come out, then I mean, at least we could just like do the EMP thing, right? How do you do your own EMP? A nuclear I feel like that's a Matt Landman question. Hey, hey, I'd love, I'd love to answer that. I'd actually love to answer or at least speak to the AI and the value of the human capital that Zach was talking about. Um, every, I live in Southern Oregon, but I think this is all over the country right now. And hey, thanks for having me on. And thanks, Charlie, for the invitation. Everywhere that there is a low income, like job, like Burger King or Wendy's or something like that, there, there's a hiring and bonus. And they're getting paid like 16 an hour plus $500 like sign on bonuses and stuff like that. Nobody wants these crappy jobs anymore because of the setup, because of the, well, for one, they're fear mongered into being afraid of going out in the world. But then also, I guess these checks are too big for them to even work or whatever. But eventually that's going to blow up in their face because robots are going to take those jobs, right? Flipping the burgers and doing all that sort of stuff. And then there's going to be people that aren't working at all. And they, all these jobs are going to get replaced by robots, right? That's kind of the setup. That's how the AI is going to work its way into the, into the world, it looks like. And then once we're like, you know, shaking hands with the robots because they get to flip our burgers and stuff like that, then it's over. But we've consented to it and like okayed it because of what I, so, I mean, the idea of not wanting to work 
a, a low income job, well, there's going to have to be like a poor class, right? Nobody wants to be that poor class. And that poor class that's not willing to work, they'll slowly become like a slave class. And they'll, they'll be so dependent on everything that they'll get the chip and they'll get the bionic this. And that's still part of, of the AI agenda too, because they won't be able to say no to anything because they'll be a, a slave class that relies on the government. So how to EMP a robot? I don't know. I don't have no idea. <laughs> but I do make uh, silver clothing that'll protect from the EMP. And um, when the time comes, you know, we'll figure out a way. I think the whole robot agenda, like I know you guys have probably seen the Elon Musk quote that he says that we have to become AI to be able to fight off AI. Otherwise, AI will win the, the battle to come. You know, he's probably like AI cyborg himself trying to convince us to become one of him or them. But at the end of the day, you know, it's, it's all about preserving our humanity and like honoring truth with integrity and honoring like not getting a, a QR code on my forehead that says my medical records is where it's going, what I'm thinking. It's like inevitably that's where it's going. Like they might not force the jab because that's what everyone's sitting in their house with their AR-15 or whatever. They're waiting for that. They're waiting for that force thing. And they might not even do that. They'll do everything but that. You know, people will get the badge saying that they have all the proper records and the experimentation, whatever, gene alterations and all this stuff. And then what are the people going to do if, it, they, if they are the minority, the truthers? If we're like with the 1%, we're going to have to create our own world, our own grocery stores, our own everything, or we'll just be total outcasts. Like they won't have to force jab us. We'll just like wither away <laughs> at the end of it all. So it's like build our own communities. And, and then, yeah, talking about the food chain and the uh, infrastructure, like the uh, channels of distribution breakdown, what are we going to do when all that happens? Well, it's, it's happening right now. I guess there was like the sixth largest meat company got hacked. It's a new hacking thing. So the meat company got hacked. And then just before that, the gas company got hacked or the pipeline got hacked. It's all BS, right? But these foreign hackers are just like jacking up the prices of things and messing with the channels of distribution. And it's like everything's just going to get really, really, really expensive to create this like oligarchy, like slave class uh, rich class and like they can push us around if like m if inflation gets so crazy that you know we can't do anything but how's everyone doing tonight sorry i thought it was seven i thought it was seven uh, pacific so i can't, so i really uh screwed that one up it's all good people come and go uh, ricky just left so it's just uh whenever people can cool. join and, and contribute it's no big deal yeah and i'm matt i, I made a movie franken skies um that's that's my. I've my seen whole, it. My it's whole, a good movie. Cool, Tell them about your clothing. Um, yeah, I mean, it's kind of like when we're in like the topic of prepping or thinking about things or preparing and you know knowing about all the crazy shit that the government's doing and taking appropriate action. And you've got you've got clothing that like takes that to a new level. That is amazing. Thanks, Charlie. Yeah, I have uh, a clothing line named Sparrow, S-P-E-R-O, which is Latin for hope. Uh, Sparrow Gear is the Instagram handle and also SparrowGear.com is the website. And i um, been doing it for a few years now utilizing silver. So silver or copper or steel is what you can make fabric with that protects from uh, uh, radio waves, Basically, it's radio frequency uh, that is the radiation that comes off of cell phones and Wi-Fi and EMPs and all that sort of stuff and, and all that jazz. But the best uh, to weave into a fabric 
and make it comfortable is silver. So all my stuff is silver and I've got the catchphrase, uh, wherever there's hope, there's always a silver lining um, because the sparrow is hope. And, and yeah, when, if, if this is a prepper show, I think it's important in your little prepper pack to have, well, I've got a, a, one of those straws. I've got a really sweet prepper, uh, like what do you call it, bug out bag. The safety straw, the, the, what do they call it? The, life, the straw? Straw, life, life straw. Life straws. Yeah. Life straw. You know, yeah. you, just, you can drink out of a puddle or whatever. I think that's I got to say, I have uh, two of turn? Matt's. I have two of Matt's bags and they're really fantastic. They completely turn your phone off to the outside world. Yeah. And if your phone is in that bag, when the EMP does hit, lucky you, you have a functional thing. I've got people that preppers. I've yet to market hardcore to like any um, specific demographic, but the preppers do contact me and they love my stuff. And um, any, any prepper, any proper prepper uh, bag should have at least, you know, like a, a, a little AM radio inside of a Sparrow phone bag or whatever, you know, kind of thing. But the silver, Matt, what yeah. are your what are your thoughts on people protecting their homes from these? Uh, because I know like natural material like stone and wood are, are naturally, you know, better than metal. Metal's conductive. You don't want all this electricity flowing through you. Uh, you know, I tend to see things from an energy first point of view. But uh, and I know you do as well. But the the silver, the copper, can we utilize those? Or are there better materials to use in our homes to protect us from something like that? Uh, well, yeah, home protection is like a is a, is kind of a little deep rabbit hole. So there's dirty electricity, and then there's smart meters, um, and there's a lot. Uh, if you can get your hands on some lead-based paint, then we're, now we're talking. We're protecting ourselves from the outside world. The whole lead paint thing is a really interesting. Um, conspiracy. So there was lead in gasoline. It was leaded gasoline and it was spewing the neighborhoods of America. And it was building up on the streets and children were getting sick. And the petroleum industry was like, oh shit, we're going to be screwed. Let's just tell everyone kids are eating eating the walls, right? And so then they got rid of the lead-based paint because in those think tanks, they were like, we got to get rid of the lead-based paint because in 30 years, we're going to come out with 5G and we got to be able to you know, whatever the 5G agenda is. But um, if now lead-based paint is great, really expensive and nickel-based paint, which exists, and it's similar to protect yourself from the outside world. But if you've got a smart meter, the smart meter surges the dirty electricity um, through the whole wires of the house, coming out all of your outlets. So you can get these things that plug in and neutralize that, or you can get rid of that smart meter, get the analog meter, but like when they're doing their crazy like Lytton, BC, Lytton, BC got destroyed overnight, British Columbia. And then, um, I mean, other towns have been totally destroyed overnight. And this is new world order agenda normalization of like using smart meters to like fry your home. Um, I've got a friend from the military who showed me he put on his military grade infrared goggles and each smart meter has an infrared designation signal like um like like you when you're at war you have them on your helmet so they know who you are it's a specific infrared flashing signal that you can only see with infrared goggles but it shouldn't be on a smart meter so either way these are like weaponized devices so in a wartime which i think we're in it's important to like know all this information right so you can neutralize the dirty electricity like if you're sleeping right next to an outlet in your house you know which i am you know i'm not i'm not a saint or anything 
Um, but I like to shut off the electricity in the whole house if I can or in my bedroom or whatever because that dirty electricity comes out of the outlets. It's like none of our houses are properly grounded unless you know, they're done really well and all that. So that's something. And then using silver and copper, um, I mean, I wear it, you know what I mean, to protect from the irradiation. But then like if, you're, if you've got your phone just sitting next to you while you're sleeping or something like that, then you're, you know, you're kind of missing the point. It's, it's like get the phone a little bit away from you and don't have it always um, emitting radiation while you're sleeping because it disrupts your sleep schedule and all this sort of stuff. And, it's, you know, you've got to get your body in perfect, you know, as good a condition as you can, utilizing the information, the truth that we have, right? And it's just like the information's there. If you've got Florida, if you've got fluoridated toothpaste and you know how bad it is, you're not honoring the truth of integrity and you're not li- living as healthily as you, you know, could. Bluetooth, same thing. Sorry, everyone. Bluetooth is, is harmful and it's like emits a lot of radiation and bioaccumulates. It shouldn't be around children and all this sort of stuff on those cool and fun and Bluetooth speakers and all that jazz. And then like Wi-Fi, like if you've got Wi-Fi, um, get yourself an EMF meter, like a decent one, and then start to learn like what you're being exposed to. And like, even in, if you're in the other room, it's not that bad unless you're connecting the device to it. And then it creates a, an invisible cloud of radiation from A to B, you know, like certain things, you start to learn these things. Um, uh, Furstenberg's book, Arthur Furstenberg's book, The in- Invisible Rainbow, really important to just start to learn about all the radiation and I'm pretty confident that the crank up in radiation 5g um, was if not a hundred percent it was a lot of these symptoms that people were having last year you know calling it uh, something that I wasn't or whatever so with all of these like you know elephants in the room and writing on the wall and all these sort of things it's important to take the truth and honor it. You know what I mean? Like magnesium, for instance, we're all, we're all depleted in magnesium and I hate to beat a dead horse, but it's like every time we ingest sugar, which I love maple syrup and whatever, you know, I don't eat like actual sugar, sugar, because that's GMO because Monsanto bought out all the sugar beet companies and owns, they own all the sugar beet companies. So if you're just eating sugar, it's, it's GMO. If it's cane sugar, it's not, but whatever. If it's just straight sugar, it's GMO. Monsanto bought every single sugar beet seed company, 99% of them. And I was like, long time ago. Um, so either way, you ingest sugar and you're depleted in your magnesium. It takes every molecule of sugar you ingest, you're depleting yourself of 54 molecules of magnesium. It's a 54 to 1 ratio. And I say it all the time, but still it's like important to understand this and to, you know, get up to speed in those certain things or we're depleted and we're not healthy and we're not living happy, healthy lives, you know? So there's all these different truths that we can utilize, but yeah, to protect yourself and to get grounded, grounding, like learning about grounding and that reduces inflammation in the body and all sorts of different tools that we can use to be healthy and then keep our, you know, healthy mind, body, soul. Yeah. That's my, that's my whole pitch is like well-rounded kind of thing. Like I have an, a website, actualactivists.com and it's like the main truths that I could think of fluoride, GMO, chemtrails, et cetera. But health is on there because health is so important to, you know, maintain that like Epsom salt baths, you can get your magnesium back. You know, it's, it's pretty easy once, you know, and there's so many options to not have fluoridated toothpaste and, and not getting, um, also having uh, metal in your mouth. I've learned to, you got to get those out, you know, get, get, go to a natural dentist and get the metal removed from your mouth, you know, leaking mercury into your, into your system constantly is, is like, it's a slow, uh, weaponized, attack that you know we all don't want to be subject to so 
Well, I'm screwed. I'm, I'm, I live next to Wi-Fi. My, my phone's always on, and I have metal all in my mouth because of retainers and whatnot. So uh, I'm fucked. But, hey, uh, I guess I can fix things, you know? <laughs> um, yeah, there's always, there's always stuff that we can do. And then, like, even knowing that, you know, maybe you'll, you'll eat this, a salad or something like that or whatever, or not do the fluoride or not whatever, you know? Like, there's, there's different things that can be done to mitigate, right? It's all about mitigating and... Like, we're going to be here, what, 100 years, hopefully? Like, let's try to, like, last that long and not have, like, a buildup of toxicity or aluminum in our brains, like, you know, by the time we're, like, you know, 50 or something or whatever. And and like you said, you know, you're not perfect, I'm sure. You know, like, like Mike might be an extreme case, but we're all starting somewhere. You know, right now you can make a change for the better and even just a small change. I know when I took fluoride out of my toothpaste, it made a profound change in my oral health, which has an overlapping effect on your immune system and your diet. And, you know, getting probiotics is another really important thing that I added to my diet and minusing dairy as well. I know meat is, uh, for some people, you know, a choice, but for me, you know, the more I eat plants, <laughs> the less I, uh, I feel like sluggish, you know, and I'm not trying to turn into like a vegan advocate. That's, you know, your body, your choice, so to speak. But, uh, I think overall, when we're talking about, uh, food preparedness, you know, you can grow so much in your backyard. It's a lot easier than managing cattle or managing, you know, chickens are essential. They're great organic pesticide. But as far as, you know, putting a whole farm together, it's, it's a lot easier to just start with plants. Well, hey, uh, you know, Wheezy's been here. Uh, I know Charlie's like, say, hey, Wheezy, pop in whenever you want. And I don't want him to be on the entire show and not say anything. Uh, so, no, it's been a, it's been a great conversation, and uh, Mr. Zach Voorhees didn't scare the shit out of me, but a lot of the stuff he was saying makes a lot of sense. You see the, you go to gasoline stations, they're going without cashiers. Uh, you got the driverless cars coming around, that's going to take up a lot of the driving jobs, you know, trucking jobs and whatnot, once they get that patted down. So, scary times ahead, and I live out here in Florida. We had Hurricane Irma a couple years back, and that we had to evacuate our home. And I live out here on the West Coast. To drive six hours, you know, what normally takes about five, six hours over to the panhandle, ended up taking about 18 hours, bumper-to-bumper traffic, everyone using the I-75 to get out of here, the quote-unquote evacuation route. And you had to fuel up every few hours, you know, stop and go, stop and go. We burnt out our brakes, uh, just stop and go, stop and go uh, all the way down. And that gave me a sense of, you know, the walking dead type of deal. We stopped at a few gasoline joints and people were getting in fights because it was, you know, you get to a gasoline station and it'd be 40 minutes to an hour just to get to a pump uh, once you get there. So, being through that situation and and now that with everything that we're going through right now uh you know it it does freak the hell out of me out you know uh personally i've gotten a few chickens um trying to get into that vibe of uh this may be like an apocalypse and i see it going through that hurricane irma thing i see it going the way zach is talking about 
you know, it's just every man for himself and you got to be locked and loaded, man. And that's how I'm going to be prepa- uh, preparing for that. Um, I know it's, it sounds like a Debbie Downer. I, I wish I could be more positive, man, but that's, that's the sense that I get out of it. And, uh, it, you know, out here in Florida, we got a huge population of old, older folks and it's been maskless pretty much the entire time. And it's just been weird. It's been in the spotlight that Florida hasn't been like the other states, you know, mandating this and, and doing this. And in the last couple of weeks, I've seen some strange push. Like they're starting to say the numbers are coming up. The numbers are coming up. Uh, my son this morning has been diagnosed with COVID. <laughs> uh, all his class, his entire class was evacuated. Uh, they're telling him he can't come back for a couple of weeks. Quarantine. My oldest son, same thing. And uh, wait, how 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 is your younger son feeling though? He's diagnosed with it. How's he he's feeling? He's feeling like shit, man. Yeah. He's and he's 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 a lot like my personality. He usually when he's sick, he doesn't really show it. It's hard to tell. And these it came down on him on Friday, I believe. So we thought he could you know rest it off. And then he wasn't feeling good this morning, so my wife didn't take him. And we got an email this morning from the school saying his class that was out of 19 kids, uh, seven of them had tested uh, positive for for COVID. And so it's scary times. And maybe I'm getting a little too conspiratorial, but, you know, it just seems like it's been recently that there's been more of a more of a case study. The tourism hasn't hasn't changed the tourism has been the same people have been coming in and out and it just seems like something weird's going on and i don't know if they're trying you know something's they're trying to make a point out of it look florida you guys needed to shape up i, I don't remember back in on. uh back in in about april may 2020 i was talking to somebody who was working for at&t and she was saying, oh, yeah, they got all the kids out of school, so it's real easy to install all these 5G, you know, things within the school. So to me, I mean, bringing it back to what Matt was just talking about before he, he left, it, it could be, you know, potentially if we're going to get really conspiratorial, because this is the place for that, uh, I would say, you know, maybe 5G is behind those, Ill, you know, the illnesses in the kids because they're more sensitive, you know, they're bioluminescent bodies are, are absorbing all that electronic smog you know you're going through a, a point of change in your life your immune system is is almost at its strongest you'd imagine that uh you know that shouldn't be yeah. a problem i remember when i was a kid they had the i was in high school they had the swine flu and it felt like you know a real training for what's going on right now they gave us like an extra uh, week of our spring vacation for supposedly swine flu and cleaning up swine flu that was in the school at that time. It was BS. I mean, one kid uh, was sick. And, and to me, it seemed like they were the hypochondriac of the school. So I just, uh, I feel like maybe 5G might be a culprit here. It, it could be. My my little guy's been running. You know, I go running on the weekends. We go several miles. I've had him run running with me since he was, you know, two years old and he's eight years old now. So he can run a couple miles like a champ. So he's always been in great shape and, you know, for him to come down, he, he's doing pretty good, but he does feel like shit, you know? And, uh, 
it's just this whole time it's it's been if you can imagine you know i it hasn't changed my thought on the whole covid thing i still feel it's been greatly exaggerated i never said it was it didn't exist like some people may think i've always thought it existed i just thought felt it was greatly um overly exaggerated but uh you know the town i live in is just old people i'm 40 years old and i'm a young buck down here and you know from what you see on the news and whatever i I'd expect to see old people dead all over the damn place. Uh, and out here, no one wears masks. No one does any of that shit. Uh, the ICUs aren't what they say, uh, you know, on the news. It's It's been gravy this whole time, but maybe it's just a coincidence. But yeah, this today, especially, you know, having both of my kids and they're five years apart. So, you know, it's different schools and whatnot, but basically telling both of my kids they, they got to quarantine uh, with the whole situation. Crazy times, man, for sure. Well, we're going to be r- winding down here in a little bit. Um, does anybody want to jump in with anything? Um, I know Zach hasn't had a chance to say much, and you know Darren is uh, hanging out with us. Small group right now, so fuck it. Say whatever's on your mind. I, I wanted to say something real quick. As far as uh, food preparation... The damn Mormons. I lived in Utah for many years and I did real estate down there. And every time I show these houses, you go to the basement and goddamn Mormons, man, always had their canned goods. And for the longest time, I was like, man, these guys are nuts, man. Uh, you know, they're they're going to fly away with American Jesus. One of these days is what, you know, I, I just made fun of it. Now that this whole thing has been going on, like, God, these guys had their shit on point. I mean, obviously, maybe from different point of point of view, but at the same time, they had they had the right idea, you know. And so you don't have to be a believer. I'm not a believer in, in what they do, but maybe I'm sure you can get some tips on food preparation from from them. That that could be an idea there. Yep. That's the thing, man. They are ready. Yeah. Stocked up. And it's it's just something that we should have we should think about you know because I think so many of us suffer I mean my I know I do from normalcy bias you know today's normal yesterday was normal tomorrow will probably be normal right but then one day maybe it's not you know and and if you haven't if you haven't done something to sort of get ready for that it just seems like it would it like a shame you know just a bit of like a wasted opportunity i've been reading this book it's called uh total so uh total survival it's by james c jones and this guy goes over all the different scenarios of like uh, civil breakdown pandemics what you need like next to your bed what you wanted to go pack like what should you stay in your apartment or should you make a quick exit and it's got good pictures for everyone uh, so I recommend checking that out. And he's got like a whole list of like what you need for your like your go bag and uh, items you need to have at your home, and it's pretty cheap. So check that out. Total Survival by James C. Jones. I mean, you could probably just talk to your grandparents if they're still around, or maybe even your parents. In some case, I mean, I don't know. Most of, when was the first supermarket in America? Like sixty years ago. We're not that far down this yeah. road of of not. You know, and I grew up in a small town that there wasn't really a, a a real sort of supermarket type store until the 80s. So, you know, I was raised where, you know, right now is firewood gathering, 
and meat harvesting and getting ready for winter because winter's a lean month. And, you know, we're, we're only two or three generations removed from that. It's, it's, it's not, I, I would argue what we're doing now is crazy, is crazier than, you know, to think that, what our great grandparents were doing, or or, or our grandparents yeah. were doing. I mean, I live that still mode right now, where you know I've, I'm out this weekend making sure my rifle's ready because I'm getting ready to go take down my meat. You know, the next two months will be me preparing my next twelve months worth of meat. That's the thing, and, man. We're we're so used to this convenience that we've, and I think it's part partly by design. You know, we're we're so reliant on these on this new tech and you know my parents are former illegal immigrants i was born in uh, san diego california but uh you know they came from mexico and ever since i was a kid we go back to mexico and they're from a small town and you know you grow your own shit you have your own chickens your goats you use what you need and you get by and as a kid, you know, I, I'd laugh. I'd be like, hell yeah, man, I'm American. I, I'm first world country. And when I look back at it now, as as I get older, I'm like, especially for these kind of times. And, I, and I've said this on, you know, my podcast. If the world were to go through some kind of calamity, we would be the ones fucked because we don't know how to hunt. We don't know how to plant our own shit. Meanwhile, some tribes in, in the rainforest. It's going to be like another goddamn day, like nothing ever happened. They're going to go out, catch a deer, catch whatever. And it's like nothing ever happened. But because we've gotten so reliant to living on the system, that's what that's what's going to really potentially could could mess us up. And so that's why these conversations right here, I, I think, are important is to rekindle that that primal nature that we have as humans and kind of go back to our roots. I mean, uh, you know, being Mexican-American, man, everyone has aloe vera, you know, the aloe vera plants, you get some, you get a little boo-boo, you smack some aloe vera. That, that's what your mama would always put put on you. And uh, every time you felt sick, you get some saltines and seven up and that cured everything. So <laughs> it's just these little home remedies, man, that, that, we, we kind of have to tap into, and like you were saying, man, get in touch with your grandparents, uh, you know, and with the old timers. They've been through it. We, we don't know shit. Or even, you know, get out and get some books like Mike did. I mean, books are not going to get EMP'd, you know. I have uh, way too many books to ever read in my lifetime, so I'll be set. I don't need Netflix yeah. if uh, if any of that happens. I got books, but and I know Darren uh, likes to read as well. So, yeah, I think the, the future is bright, and there's a lot of books out there that can teach you the old ways and, and how to live in harmony with the cycles like Darren's describing, you know, and we're not that far away from that. Yeah, my uh, my father-in-law, he bought a book, uh, How to Survive an EMP, but he bought it on his Kindle. So he realized he's fucked, you know, if he ever had to read that thing. So I'll have to buy my paperback. I keep a hard drive of all the shows in my Faraday bag. There you go. And then a phone with my audio books on it. Just so, I mean, my phone's going to be useless anyway, but at least I'll have some good listening, some great fiction. I thought about it. If, I, if, I, if there's an EMP. Sit around the campfire and throw the iPod on. Yeah. I mean, just a break from the guitar. Yeah. Good idea. 
Well, hey, uh, let's plug each other's uh, shows here. Uh, Zach, uh, how can people listen to you? Uh, there we go. Yeah. Um, I have a new book that's coming out. Actually, it's already out. Um, it's called Google Leaks, and it's uh, popular right now with both the liberal and the conservative press, um, surprisingly. And uh, inside of this book, we go into exactly how Google censors you. And we go into detail. We show the list. We show the blacklist. We show how Google rewrote their news algorithms in order to tr- uh, in order to foil Trump. Uh, there you can see them with uh, the Comey fight between Trump and Comey, and um, basically turn conspiracy theory into fact. So check it out on Amazon right now. Google leaks the book, and also. Um, you can check out the first few pages at googleleaksbook.com. Check it out. Awesome. I'm going to get that. It looks nerdy right up my alley. Yeah, you'd like it. Uh, you can see all my stuff at grammerica.ca is the one podcast and grammericaoutlaw.ca is the other podcast where we do the more controversial stuff. The other one's kind of fun stuff. Check out adultbrain.ca for all our Grimerica published uh, audiobooks. We've got about 18 titles in there now. Secret Doctrine 1, 2, and 3. Secret Teachings of All Ages. I mean, basically, you know, some of the top esoteric titles of all time. Adultbrain.ca will take you to all those. And then you can check out my book at a canadianshame.ca or just check it out on Amazon. I don't have it here down here with me, but it's uh, kind of about residential schools and the Indian Act and uh, the dangers of government and institutions. I mean, there, there's probably never been a more timely time to get caught up on recent history and what these governments are capable of. And you can kill two birds with one stone by going over to Macroaggressions and listening to the current episode because it's an interview with Darren Grimes talking about the book. Excellent. Right on. Well, people can listen to me at uh, My Family Thinks I'm Crazy, the podcast, MyFamilyThinksI'mCrazy.com, and then Alt Media United, a place where you can check out most of the podcasters that have been here today and uh, more to come soon. We got a lot of podcasts in the cooperative so please go check that out altmediaunited.com oh i did want to mention too i think we're at the makers just make yourself a fake fucking vaccine card at this point what do you guys think about that like i think it's just time to stop uh <laughs> i mean you don't have to use it all the time but i think it's not a bad idea to just hey, have that's it like when that. we were young we used to have those fake ids for yeah alcohol back <laughs> I was 15 years old buying alcohol. <laughs> just in case for those yes, sir. situations. I mean, I mean, I'm just kind of at the point now where I've stopped, at least in my neighborhood, just advocating that against it. Because, I mean, while I am against it and I don't agree with it, uh, everyone else has sort of made up their mind. And I might need these motherfuckers in six months. So I don't need them. I don't need to be the brown guy and the unvaccinated guy. <laughs> one or the other take a pick okay all right guys and i appreciate the the invite uh big shout out to my man ricky midnight mike has been on my show uh i'm wheezy from the what is true podcast and 
I am a recent victim of the cancel culture. Had a few thousand subs on YouTube and started dropping truth bombs and got axed. So I'm kind of rebuilding. If any of you guys want to jump on my show, I would love to have you guys on. I'm trying to rebuild. So that would be awesome. You guys can find me on your favorite podcast player. What is truth podcast? Uh, Most of my videos transferred over to odyssey.com. So you could find me there. Same thing. What is truth podcast, Twitter, what truth pod. And that is it. And I can't thank you guys enough for this invite. And my name is Midnight Mike, and I run a show called Our Big Dumb Mouth. You can check us out. Go to obdmpod.com. It's a fun show. You might like it. So, hey, thank you, everyone, for hanging out. And, man, we hit it all. But we could have went so much more and so much deeper, but maybe next time. All right. And put everyone's uh, links and... uh, titles and decrees in the description of this podcast so everyone can scroll down and hit a link find out more about the people on this show you can go to our merchandise store too that we have if you want to get silly t-shirts that we've made yes absolutely oh boy yeah, the cyberware uh cyber attack ransomware uh takedown's coming isn't it sure i bet it is so <laughs> All right, everyone. Talk to you guys next time. Thanks, Mike. Thank you, sir. Now, Mike, we got to talk some aliens, goddammit. Oh, yes, we will. We'll schedule something. <laughs> <laughs>